This morning, as we are thinking of patriotic themes, I would like to preach a message I'm entitled, America, What Has Gone So Horribly Wrong? And Can Things Be Changed? We're going to look in Psalm chapter 80, the 80th Psalm. It's a Psalm of Asaph. Uh, the 80th Psalm is not a Psalm of David, but the uh, superscription there tells us that it is a Psalm of Asaph. I want you to notice what Asaph says, beginning in verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. He is calling out to God, and he acknowledges uh, that God and him alone is the shepherd, that one which protects, provides for Israel. You who lead Joseph, another name for that nation, like a flock. Notice who you who dwell between the cherubim. In his acknowledgement of God, in his plea to God, he says you dwell between the cherubim, what he's referring to. Uh, with that Ark of the Covenant, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. On top of the mercy seat were, were two golden cherubim. And when God's presence was in the Holy of Holies, He would dwell there under the wings of the cherubim. And so what He's doing, He is not acknowledging all of the characteristics, the attributes of God, but primarily His holiness. How do we know so? Because He says, who dwell between the cherubim, and then He asks Him to shine forth. Let your glory shine. Be glorified among your people, is what he's saying. May you be put on display. And the implication is, based on what he's saying is, we haven't seen your glory here for a long time. May your glory shine once again. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your strength. Now how do we know he's been absent? And come. It seems as if God has been absent. Now, he had never actually been absent, but he withdrew his fellowship from among his people for a season, for a reason. Come and save us. Israel needed saving, Israel needed deliverance. And then notice this recurring chorus that goes throughout Psalm 80. What did Israel need? What was the plea of Asaph before God since, Ahab, since Israel is now wallowing in sin? They had turned their back on God. They had gone after the gods of this world. What is the plea? Notice, restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. Now I want you to notice, he did not call out to God, God bless our nation. This is a plea for restoration. A restoration of what? God, just, we, we need you to restore what we were. We need you to restore who we were. We need you to restore where we are. God, we need you to be restored to your rightful place in our lives, and in our nation. I want you to understand this. Brother Ken and I had a discussion on this this week. If you're asking God to bless America, you might as well forget it. One of the things we saw, thought about singing is, God bless America today. Nuh-uh. We thought about singing that song, God bless the USA. Not going to happen. 
A holy God cannot bless a people who have given themselves wholeheartedly to sin and rebellion against Him. It cannot happen. If you think God is going to bless this nation in the condition in which we are, I'm afraid you're going to be greatly, greatly disappointed. What our nation needs is restoration. What our nation needs is repentance. And until that happens, we will not experience the blessing of God as a people. We need God once again to cause His face, His greatness, the glory of all that He is, to shine forth in our nation. Why was Asaph calling out to God for the nation of Israel to be restored? Notice verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, He says, Yahweh, the God of hosts, the God of the angelic armies. How long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? The nation of Israel was calling out for God to bless them because they were hurting. As a result of the judgment that God had brought on them for their rebellion, they were in a mess. Economically, militarily, socially, they were in a mess. And they were calling out to God, and they were calling out to God, God bless us! Instead of going before God and recognizing their sinfulness and crying out to God in repentance, what was God's attitude toward His people in their rebellion? It says, He was angry. Angry. And notice in particular, he was angry against the prayer of his own people. Well, I thought God heard and I thought God answered every prayer. Uh uh. That's not what you have not read the Word of God. The Word of God says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, if you have unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your heart, God will not hear when you pray. He will not hear. He'll turn a deaf ear to it, He will not respond to it. How long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You you have fed them. Notice, at least they're understanding where the problem lies. You have fed them. God has given them. You have fed them with the bread of tears. You had given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors. And our enemies laugh among themselves. God was angry with His people. And as a result of their rebellion and sin against God, the way that they were living, the ungodly lives that they were living, God brought judgment upon His people. Now, I want you to understand, while this passage is talking about the nation of Israel and God's relationship to Israel, I believe with everything within me that there is a mirror image of Israel in our day and time. It is not the nation of Israel. But I believe this nation that's a mirror image of Israel, a reflection of Israel, and God's relationship to that nation is on the earth right now. Notice what it says in verse 8. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. The nation of Israel was planted by God. God established this nation through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God planted it. He brought them out of Egypt when they were in their bondage, and under Moses' and then Joshua's leadership, he planted them in the land that he had told Abraham many years ago that he was going to give to him and to his descendants in Canaan, in Israel now. It says, you prepared room for it. You caused it to take 
deep root, and it filled the land. Not only did God plant them where God planted Israel, He caused them to flourish and to thrive. Verse 10, the hills were covered with its shadow, the mighty cedars with its bough. You sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. I want you to understand, back then and even to this day, Israel is a land flowing with milk and honey. Whenever we made our trip to Israel, one of the things that we were just astonished by is how big the produce is in Israel. I mean, you haven't seen produce in this country. If all that you've ever eaten is, is vegetables and fruits for the United States, you don't know what real vegetables and fruits even look like. I mean, the size, the color of them. And I'm telling you, this is no exaggeration. They taste completely different. The depth of flavor, the extent of flavor of the olives and the oranges and the vegetables that are in Israel are unlike anything I've ever tasted in America. Those of you who have been in Israel, you'll bear witness to the same thing. I mean, it is an amazing, amazing... I do not eat olives in America. I don't like the taste of the olives here. I just, I just don't. I loved them in Israel. I, I, they were awesome. And the grapes, you talk about vineyards here and here, you planted a vine. I mean, the grapes in Israel, I'm, I'm like any, more flavor than anything I've ever had here. I mean, it's awesome. Why? Why is that? It was the land given by God to His people. And He promised them it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. It would produce. Now, remember, this is in desert region. This is in desert region. Oh man, wait till you try the dates from, from Israel. I mean, they're, they're just great. I mean, they're just awesome. Whenever you, you're driving, you're kind of in a desert area, and you look out and there are these mountains. I was unprepared for the massive fields that are there that produce in certain regions of Israel. Why? Because God blessed them and causes the land to produce. Israel was sovereignly planted in a land. And I believe with all my heart America was sovereignly planted in this place by God. I believe God brought America into being for His own special purposes. Do you think it's any coincidence that there were a lot of exploratory and expeditions into America that tried to come and exploit America's natural resources? That's primarily why they came. Groups came originally to exploit our resources. And they all perished. They all died. But then in 1620, there was a group of Puritans, pilgrims, who came over on the Mayflower. And they stated, whenever they wrote on the, on the, uh, underneath the decks of the Mayflower, they stated that their voyage was, and I quote from the Mayflower Compact, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Their motivation and purpose in coming to this land was to glorify God, to put God on display in the world, and to advance the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to clearly understand I know this is debated throughout our land today. The Bible is clear. America was founded by God. And our history is clear. It was founded by God as a Christian nation. A Christian nation. Let me prove my case. I have much more evidence I could give you uh, in fact, by the way, 
in August and September, on Sunday nights, we're going to be teaching a course here on biblical Christian citizenship. I want you to understand what our responsibilities are as Christians in this nation. So, the months of August, September, we will be studying this together on Sunday nights. You don't want to miss it. If you want to learn more about our Christian heritage as a nation, I've got many books. Let me just give you a few that I highly recommend. The Fates, the Fates of the Founding Fathers by David Holmes. Excellent resource. First book I ever read on the subject that I still go back to and reread every couple of years. The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall. He was chaplain of the Senate uh, at one time here. Uh, this gives a marvelous history of the, the Christian heritage from before the time of the pilgrims, through the pilgrims, up through the colonial era. It's a great resource. If you want probably the best book uh, on uh, religious history in America, this is America's Religious History by Thomas Kidd. And I would strongly encourage you, I haven't read anything better of all the books I've read on the subject. So, America was founded as a Christian nation. In America's Declaration of Independence, there are five references, specific references to God. Number one, God is referenced as being the source of common grace when it says the laws of nature. God is referenced as the creator and sustainer of the world when it talks about in the Declaration of Independence, nature's God. God is referenced as the giver of undisputed rights which cannot be taken away. I want you to understand, your rights as a Christian citizen come to you through and by God Himself. Our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, just affirms what God has already declared. God is appealed to as the supreme judge of the world. And fifthly, they declared in the Declaration of Independence, it stated their firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The framers of the Declaration stated that the source and reason why they were doing this was based on not just the egregious things that happened to them uh, by the King of England, but it was for the purposes of God Himself. George Washington, the leader of the Revolutionary Army and our first president, made this statement. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence, the sovereignty, the reign, the rule, the control of Almighty God and to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits and to humbly implore His protection and favor. Uh, you got to read this. This, this is not Scripture, but it could just have easily have been. George Washington wrote this in his personal prayer journal. Did you know that George Washington had a personal prayer journal? In his prayer journal, he writes, O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts and words and works. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by Thy Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more in the likeness of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in Thy fear and dying in Thy favor, I may in Thy appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justified unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the whole world be filled with the knowledge of Thee and Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? What a prayer. What a, I, would, I would that we would pray that kind of prayer. John Jay, 
the first U.S. Supreme Court justice said, Providence, God, has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is their duty, as well as privilege and interest, of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Justin David Brewer wrote about what came to be known as the Trinity Declaration. This was a decision by the Supreme Court in writing about that Trinity decision. This republic is classified among the Christian nations of the world. It was so formally declared by the Supreme Court of the United States in the case of Holy Trinity Church versus the United States. That court, after mentioning various circumstances, added, these and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial and official declarations to the mass of organic utterances that America is a Christian nation. That was declared by the U.S. Supreme Court. President Thomas Jefferson stated, No nation has ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can it be. The Christian religion is the best religion that has been given to man. And I, as chief magistrate of this nation, am bound to give it the sanction of my example. We were founded to be a Christian nation. By the way, have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? You ever been there? You ever walked through the monuments in the Capitol? I want you to understand the name of God and direct quotes from the Word of God are found in these places in Washington, D.C. You will find Scripture quoted and God's name mentioned in the Capitol building, on the Library of Congress, on the National Archives, on the Lincoln Memorial, on the Jefferson Memorial, on the Washington Monument, on the Supreme Court building, and on the White House. I'm sure there are others, but you will find the name of God. You will find the Word of God chiseled into all of those most cherished buildings and monuments of our nation. There is no doubt there is no dispute that America was sovereignly planted in this place as a Christian nation. Amen? Amen. But, we are now living in America in what is now called a post-Christian America. We were indeed founded as a Christian nation. We no longer are a Christian nation. Just to kind of prove that point, listen to the following video. So one of the young men showed it to me this morning. That's the first time I had seen it. Whenever I got here, I wanted you to hear this. Of the Sparkle yeah. Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt. 
whose feet are grounded in mud, and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Wow. That was in a Lutheran church. A Lutheran church. That's the new creed. The new statement of belief. How has America responded to our gracious God for all the blessings He has given us? America has been blessed like no nation on the face of the earth. Those blessings came from our God. How have we responded to our gracious God? As a nation, as a people, we have rebelled and turned our back on God. We have taken Him out of virtually every institution in the land in every way that we could. We have defiled the land that He has given us. We've broken the law that He gave us. The writers of the Bill of Rights clearly stated every right we were given in the Bill of Rights was based on the rights that God has given us in His Word. We've broken the law. We have denied the Lord who lovingly sent, was sent and given and sacrificed for us. I want you to understand there are many things we could call out to. We could talk about the widespread drug abuse in our land. We are drowning in drugs in our nation. Not just heroin and cocaine and crack, prescription drugs. We've now legalized or decriminalized marijuana, and now they're working on other drugs in many portions of our country. We have condoned gay marriage. There's just a long list. You know the list. Everything that God says we're supposed to do, we are now making laws to say, you know, can't do that. And everything God says don't do, we're making laws to say it's perfectly okay. And I wish I could say that was the way the secular America looks. But folks, that's also a pretty good description of what's happening in the church. Or what we call the church. I don't think it is the church, but what we call the church in America today. Why has America found herself in the moral demise we have? Where do we post the blame? Is it because we haven't had the right presidents, the right Congress, the right Supreme Court? They're not to blame. The full blame for why America is in the mess it's in, rest with the church Amen. of Jesus Christ. Amen. We were called to be salt and light. And we found ourselves content to join the lost in a world of darkness. We are more involved in politics than we are in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're more concerned with how a person votes than where they're going to spend eternity. We're more concerned about what happens with the Dow Jones than what happens in our baptistries 
Now, there are some positive things that have happened recently. The Supreme Court is finally moving to do away with abortion and giving the states the right to make decisions. That's good, amen? You stand for life, amen? We stand for the unborn? Yeah, it's not such a good thing. Now listen carefully because you will misunderstand. I believe abortion is sin. Vile sin. I believe that we ought to stand for life. I want to see all those little babies born. But here's the issue. I'm not saying that there's anything good about abortion. Please hear me. I'm not saying there is anything good about abortion. It's sin. Those little babies that were murdered in their wombs are now in the presence of the Lord. Those little babies that are not going to be murdered now, that are going to be born, are going to live in this world and die and spend an eternity in hell for the most part. Only 25% of Americans even attend church. Those who attend church, half of them are lost. That tells me that there's only about 10-12% of people that's actually born again Christians in America. That means 90% of those babies are going to spend eternity in hell. Why? Because those of us that are saved are not sharing the gospel with those who are lost. Here's where I think we go wrong, folks. We do everything we could to stop abortion so the babies could live, are you willing to do what's necessary to, you might, that they might see eternal life? I mean, that breaks my heart. On the one hand, we're saving their life in this life and we're condemning them to an eternity in hell. That rests with the church. That rests with us in this room. For every precious little life that was saved, that life is wasted unless we are willing to go share Jesus with that precious life and share with them how they can have life throughout all of eternity. We've got a lot of issues in America. And it breaks my heart when I see the attitudes of most Americans. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of it, and I don't want to get into the economics of it, because it's all about politics and economics and how it's being discussed. But let's talk about immigration for a moment. Let's talk about the borders. Let's talk about the borders. Everything I hear is, we got to build a wall. we got to keep those people out. It's wrong. They're taking our services. We're having to pay for them. We're having to educate their children. We're having to pay for their medical expenses. We need to keep those people out. I understand that. I understand what you're saying. It's economics. It's politics. Could it be that God brought those people here because all those people were living in nations where they were not hearing the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ? And He brought them into a land where there are more churches than anywhere else in the world. Maybe He brought them into the land so that we could share Jesus with them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would have died lost in eternity in hell forever. And the primary reason God brought them in is so they might hear the gospel from the people in this room. They would have never heard it any other way. Even the churches they were in in those countries, countries were not sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But all we want to do is protect 
our resources. And we're not concerned about the hearts and souls. That's a whole different way of looking at things, folks. It's a whole different way. Does the country have the right to shore up its borders and protect its immigration policy? Absolutely, 100%. I'm all, all for that. But for the ones that are already here now, while they're here, rather than us just spending all of our resources trying to find a way to get them out while they're here, why don't we share Jesus? Then if they do go back, they're taking the Gospel with them when they go back to those other nations. That's a win-win. How, now, God is angry with Israel. I think God is angry with America. I think America is already under the judgment of God. It's not that His judgment is coming. I think we're under judgment. How has He done that? How has God brought judgment to America? He tells us in Psalm 80, beginning in verse 12, Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar, the wild pig, out in the woods uproots it, and the wild beasts of the fields devour it. In other words, Israel and its resources was being devoured by other nations, like China and other places. We used to be a lender nation, now we're a debtor nation, in debt up to our eyeballs to other nations. Did you notice it says, why did all of it happen? How, did God bring, how does God bring judgment? You've broken down your hedges. In other words, God had a hedge around Israel to protect her. The way God brings judgment is He lowers the hedge. He lowers His protection. For instance, in Job chapter 1, verse 9, so Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every, every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand, touch all that he has. He'll curse you to your face. In other words, he says, God, you have a hedge around Job and his land and his possessions and his family. You're protecting him so that I can't get to him to wreak havoc. But lower the hedge. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now let me sing of my well-beloved, the song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. He's singing about Israel. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst. He also put a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes, the stuff of the world, rather than the stuff that he had planted there. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done for it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Because it is worldly, rather than cultivating and producing what He wanted from it, I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and I shall trample down. I will lay it waste. I shall not be, uh, be pruned, it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they will rain no more on it. When God judges a nation, when God judges a people, here's how He does it. We have been blessed and we have prospered and things have gone well pretty much in our nation because God has produced a hedge around our nation. I want you to understand, America is not protected by the two oceans on either side of us. It's been protected by God. That's the only reason we've had the things that we've had and been blessed. 
We, the, only, the one war that was here in America was the, well, the Revolutionary War for our freedom and then the war for the freedom of the slaves. We've been blessed. This is what God has now done. It's not He's going to do it. He's done it. He takes away the hedge. Did you notice the conversation between God and Satan? And Satan says, you put a hedge there, but take it down so I can get to him. And he did, and what happened? Chaos. Do you think it's just a matter of coincidence and meteorology that over the last couple of decades, in America, we've had more hurricanes and the strongest hurricanes we've ever had in the history of our nation. Hurricane season is starting earlier and lasting longer. Do you think it's just coincidence that we've had more tornadoes who've caused greater devastation and tornado season starts now earlier and lasts longer? And there are places who've never seen tornadoes in, in America that are now seeing tornadoes in those places? Do you know the flooding that we've had? As I was up in North Carolina with Florence, it was bad. You think it was bad here with Hugo? You should have seen what Florence did up there. I was here during Hugo. I was there with Florence. Hugo was a piece of cake. You seen the wildfires? Do you know we have smoke from wildfires from Canada now? Have you seen the there's uh, airlines are having to reroute planes and stuff because of the volcanic eruptions so they can't fly through the the smoke from them because it has silicon in it and other things and it fouls up the engines of the planes. By the way, while we're talking about atmospheric things causing chaos in America, did you know that Satan is called in the Word of God the prince of the power of the air? The one in charge of the atmosphere, if God removes his protection, the one who rules the atmosphere is Satan. You think it's just coincidental what's happening with our atmosphere? No. The mass shootings that we've had the last couple of decades? Now, you got to send your child to school in a bulletproof vest. You go to the grocery store, you're watching around, looking. You go to a concert. Last night they were having a block party in Baltimore. 30 people shot. Kansas last night. 7 people shot. More mass shootings than we've ever had. Why? When God lowers the hedge, His protective hedge is not even primarily about physical protection. It's spiritual protection. When God lowers the hedge, he's, by the Holy Spirit is called He who restrains. In other words, God keeps sin in a country in check. Those countries that He's watching, keeps it in check. He only allows sin to go so far until he removes the hedge. Once he removes the hedge, he lets sin run rampant, unrestrained. Romans chapter 1. He gave them over. So that sin was left to run unrestrained. You know, whenever I was in school, all the years in school, I knew one kid that was homosexual. One. I wonder if you can say that about any school in America right now. 
I also want you to understand Genesis chapter 16 through 19. Genesis 16 through 19 states, when you read through it, the primary way God brings judgment upon a people, whenever He lowers the hedge, He turns them over to sexual perversity. That's His judgment. He turns them over to sexual perversity. Yeah, we have the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff. Listen, please hear me. There's no excuse for any kind of a form of abuse. And I've dealt with many people who've been abused. I've dealt with many women who've been abused. I've been dealt with some men who've been abused. It's horrendous. It's horrible. It is sin of the highest order. But it kind of confuses me. You can't turn on television, go to a movie, without seeing the most sexual stuff you could possibly imagine. Even you turn on over-the-air television. You ever watch Yellowstone? You ever seen the shows that are on? You cannot even watch the Grammy Awards anymore. You watch the Grammy Awards. You know, the women that are on the, the Grammy Awards, the stuff that they were wearing, there's no way under the sun I'd let my daughter dress like that. I'd blush if Robin dressed like that in Home Alone. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's serious. And the way that they're dancing when they're dressed that way. And then we wonder why people don't respect other people. In America, in our churches, the, the, the statistics over the last 10 years, 80% of all men in a church are addicted to pornography. 80% of all men who are faithful in churches, not just who are faithful, regular attenders in churches who call themselves Christians, 80% are addicted to pornography. Then we wonder why we don't see God moving more in our churches. It's kind of hard for God, the Holy Spirit, to move in a church service when your mind has been filled with all that stuff all week long. It's really hard. We wonder why our marriages are falling apart. I mean, these days it's kind of hard to deal with anybody that's been married and stayed married the whole time. Did you know... 40% of all American children are brought up without a father in the home. Did you realize that? 40%. Raised without a father in the home. And we wonder why we're in the mess we're in. Why are we in the mess? Because we've turned our back on God. I want you to know the God who was America's greatest friend throughout our history, the person we need to be afraid of as a country is not Putin. And it's not the Democrats or the Republicans. America's greatest enemy is God. God. He's faithful to His Word. And he says, when you turn your back on him and you follow the ways of the world, give your life over to sin, he's going to lower the hedge and let sin go unrestrained. And that's where we are. By the way, just for the sake of argument, I know Dr. Lynch is going to come preach on Bible prophecy. I was asked this question this morning, so I'll answer it. Where's America headed? Where's America headed? Take a very long Bible study and give it give you the shortened version. Anywhere in Scripture when it talks about the last days, you will never see America mentioned. 
In fact, the only nations that you see mentioned toward the last days is Israel, Russia, China, Turkey, and the nations of Europe. Here's where America's headed. America's going to collapse. It is going to collapse. It is going to collapse economically. It's going to collapse socially. It's going to collapse. Brother Tim, does that happen before or after the rapture? The way I read Scripture, it's going to begin the collapse leading up to the rapture. It's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get worse. If things are not getting better, they're going to get worse. It's going to get worse and worse leading up to the rapture, which I believe is not too far off. And then the rapture is going to be the tipping point that's going to cause America's complete failure. Complete failure. Just think about it, folks. The only way an Antichrist could come to power, a one-world ruler, which is what the Antichrist is, He's going to rule over all the nations. He's going to come out of the European nations. The only way that could happen is if there was no America, because America would never stand for that. We have enough military might and some fortitude, we wouldn't stand for that. So the only way the Antichrist could come to power is if there's no America. Do we believe the Lord's returning soon? Amen? Absolutely. I believe the rapture is going to happen fairly soon. So what's going to happen to us? That's the days we're headed for. That's the days that are coming. Now I can prove all this biblically. I'm just kind of giving you the stuff. I can, I can walk you through Scripture and prove it. That being said, that being said, persecution of Christians is coming to America in a way that you've never seen it before. Are you ready for it? Are we preparing our children for it? Are we preparing this next generation for it? They're the ones that's going to live through the worst of the worst of it. By the way, for the young people in here, don't let anybody tell you you can't pray in school. Don't let anybody tell you you can't read your Bible in school. Don't let anybody tell you you can't witness in school. Yes, you can. Now, there's a time and a place where it's appropriate, but yes, you can. And I'm telling you, if you care anything whatsoever about the friends that you text with, you better be telling them about Jesus. Okay? Is there any hope? Can anything be changed? Scripture says judgment, judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins with us. God's judgment begins with us. We can only make a difference in America this way. Number one, we have to actually live the Christian life. Let Christ live the Christian life in us and through us. We've got to be the real deal. We've got to actively be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that we know that are lost. Thirdly, we got to get our churches where they need to be. I'm, I'm, I'm just gut level honest with you. We can't afford to play church games anymore. We just can't. There's too much at risk. There's too much at stake. And there's too little time. 
We've got to do whatever it takes. We've got to pay whatever it costs to try to do everything that we can to get the gospel to this community and to this world. No matter what happens out there, I still believe that if we as God's people will humble ourselves and repent. Repent means turning away from the sin and turning in faith to Christ and walking in righteousness. Regardless of whatever's happening around us, if we will call out to God in repentance, and if we'll call out to God and ask Him to restore us, if we will call out to God and ask Him to save us, God will bless us. In the midst of whatever's happening out there, God with His people will shore up the hedge around about us. There's a whole other long sermon that I had, but we won't get there. But you got the, you got the core of it. Would you crawl out to, to God as Asaph did and say, Restore us, O God. Cause Your face to shine. Not even primarily for us, for our benefit, but as the psalmist goes on to say, for Your good pleasure. For it to please God. Right. Here's what I also want you to know. I believe a Christian has the responsibility of exercising the rights and freedoms we have in voting for Christian people who stand for Christian values. I think if we don't, you haven't lived up to your responsibility. All right. We have that responsibility that's been given to us. God gave it to us. We need to exercise it. But, if you think America's survival or prosperity depends on any man. You're worshiping an idol. You're worshiping an idol. The one that we look to for our deliverance, the one we look to for our protection and prosperity and everything that comes is God Himself. God Himself. Don't forget that. If you think there is a man out there who's going to be the Savior of America, it's an idol. That's like for the nation of Israel. They said, we want a king like all the nations of the earth so that we can be blessed. God says, just look to me. No, we want a king. We want a king. He says, okay, I'm going to give you one. I'll let you have him. But you're not going to like it. Okay? Just heart to heart. One of the sad realities of our country right now is I hear more people talking about a man than I hear them talking about God. That's got to change. That's got to change. I think that's part of the reason God's lowered the hedge. All right. Dads, husbands, moms, if you're a single parent household, you are the one that's responsible for your family. For your family. We'll come along beside you as a church and help you, but you're the one responsible. You need to get your life and your home right that so no matter what happens to the neighbors, are the other kids at school, those kind of things, God will put that protection. Job, Satan says, you place the hedge of protection around Job and his household, his family. It starts with you being who God's called you to be, doing what God's called you to do, that He might shore up the hedge around your home, regardless of what happens out there. So, today, I call you to repentance. If there are things going on in your life 
that God's not pleased with. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and go on cleansing you from all unrighteousness. And praise God, He does. I call you, after repenting, to call out to God to restore us. Who knows? Maybe God might, if not extend our time to give us more time to work, maybe He will be able, He will take the time that we have allotted and make us more productive, more fruitful. That's the thing. In whatever length of time we have remaining, let's be as fruitful as we can be. And He has to produce that fruit in us. So call out for restoration. Okay? May God bring America to repentance. Father, we thank you for our time.